This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. My guest today is Bill Clerico. He's the CEO and co-founder of WePay, where he drives the company's vision, strategy, and growth. WePay's payments API is built specifically for platform businesses like marketplaces, crowdfunding sites, and small business software, like those we've had on the show before, like Constant Contact, Jotform, and some of these folks. These platforms empower millions of sole proprietors to start and grow their businesses. Bill, are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, really excited. All right, so tell us about WePay. You know, fintech can kind of lurk in the shadows and people have a hard time really grasping what it is. What does WePay do for your customers like Constant Contact and Jotform? Sure, so um, there's this big revolution happening out there in payments where payments used to be sold kind of door to door by folks that would sell payment terminals to small business owners um, or you'd get it through your bank. Uh, and so you'd, you'd basically contract with a payment company or the bank and you'd use that to accept credit cards, whether that was in person or, or online. Um, but what's happened over the last five to 10 years is that software companies are totally disrupting that distribution mechanism. So more and more small business owners, small business owners are using software to grow and run their businesses. Um, and payments are just coming as a tightly embedded or integrated part of that. And so uh, companies like WePay are helping those software companies um, tightly embed payments into their software offerings so they can then sell them to small businesses. And these are, I mean, can I give some other examples like folks like Fiverr, any really marketplace, right? You're powering a lot of those. Yeah. So you can think of folks like GoFundMe or Meetup or, um, you know, lots of kind of interesting companies that are in interesting verticals. So like one of my favorite companies is a company called Time to Pet. Uh, they're a marketplace for dog walkers to uh, connect with customers. So, um, you know, really any type of marketplace that's connecting buyers and sellers uh, is uh, a really good fit for our platform. And what was the business model? Did you do typical kind of take a cut of a very, very small cut or what was the model? Yeah, exactly. So uh, payments is typically priced on just a per transaction fee basis. So we charge um, our customers, the the kind of marketplace or the software platform, a fee. Um, sometimes they uh, add fees on top of that to monetize their business as well. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and so the end customer is paying typically around 3% for payment processing, which is about the market rate. Um, and you know, we, uh, we're either charging that end user that, or we're doing a revenue share back to our software platforms. Got it. So that's a pretty fair average three, you know, basically three cents on any dollar through these kinds of platforms you work with. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. The, the kind of market rate is like actually about 2.9% plus 30 cents. That's what most payment companies charge. Interesting. And how did you kind of, you know, this space I imagine gets competitive if people try and undercut that single rate. So it's your job to kind of grow volume so you can support lower and lower rates. Where did you feel competitive pressures from and how did you manage that? Yeah. And the really interesting thing is in our space is that the kind of base interchange rates are set by Visa and MasterCard. So that sort of sets a floor for competition. Most folks think that, oh, we, we pay makes 3%. Actually, we make kind of a tiny fraction of that. The vast majority goes to um, your credit card company that issues your card uh, as kind of sanctioned by Visa and MasterCard. Um, so really where we see competition is really in attracting software platforms to our 
to our solution. And so, um, you know, we're, we're competing on the quality of our APIs, uh, the quality of the end user experience, speed of payments, uh, quality of customer support. Those are all things that people think about when they choose uh, a payment provider. Um, and typically the rate, you know, is competitive with everyone else, but there's kind of a you know, there's actually isn't a lot of variability in those rates overall in the industry. Litecoin just overtook, uh, an, sorry, not Litecoin, Ripple just overtook Litecoin in terms of market cap. Obviously, I'm talking blockchain stuff. I assume yeah. you're probably keeping your ear to the ground on this kind of stuff. How are you thinking about blockchain at WePay? Yeah, I mean, we uh, we as a company are just trying to stay super focused on our customers. And our customers are these software platforms that serve small businesses. You know, when those folks start calling us and asking us to support Bitcoin or blockchain or these other solutions, we'll add it. Uh, but I think what we found is that in this part of the market, there really hasn't been a killer application of those technologies yet. So I'm personally super interested and I own some Bitcoin and Ethereum. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of exciting momentum there. Um, and I think there's going to enable some cool stuff. But, you know, for small businesses and small business software platforms, I think it's still super early. All right, I want to jump more into the backstory here, kind of getting your into the head of the 23-year-old bill because you grew this thing and correct me if my numbers are wrong here, but you know, research team said about over $70 million raised over the course of the company and the price basically was reported on the acquisition which was I believe October this year of somewhere around 400 million. Was that released publicly or is that speculation? Yeah, we it's still kind of speculation. We haven't, okay. you know, really tried to keep focus on our customers and what we're trying to build and haven't talked publicly about uh, the financial details of the transaction, although I think it was a great win for our shareholders and also a win for uh, for JP Morgan Chase. That's great. Okay, let's get more of the backstory here. So there's other 23-year-olds listening to this show going, okay, this Bill guy's a killer. I want to be like Bill. What? Where was your head at when you were 23? What were you coming from? How, how, what were you thinking? Yeah, so I, uh, I always grew up around computers and technology and kind of tinkered and programmed since a really young age. Um, went to Boston College, studied computer science, um, and, uh, you know, I think really got fascinated with the business of technology. Like I could, you know, I could see even in college had just how transformational technology had been to the economy and kind of what was left to go. And I said, Hey, that's like, if you're going to bet your career on a sector over the next 50 years, seems like technology is the place to be. Um, but I was really interested in the way technology shapes business. And so I uh, went to, and became a technology investment banker after college and got to work with some really awesome entrepreneurs, kind of selling companies, taking them public, advising them on all this stuff. And what year was that, Bill? Uh, that was, I graduated in 2007. So it was kind of 2007, was kind of a great time to be an investment banker. And then 2008 was not. Uh, and so, you know, kind of got to see the good times and the bad. Um, but, you know, really like after working with a bunch of clients that were technology entrepreneurs, I said, you know, actually that looks like a lot more fun than just doing finance. You know, I'd rather really want to be in there building stuff, building a team, you know, building a product that can kind of shape the future. Um, and, uh, you know, started kicking around some ideas with my freshman year roommate in college, Rich Aberman, who's my co-founder. And we really got excited about this concept around making it easy to collect money from friends. You know, it was, um, you know, there, we, we thought it was just hard to split the dinner check, pay rent together, go on trips together. No one had really solved that problem. So set out to stop, solve that. Uh, now this was, Bill, this was like, back in what, like 2009 ish. This was, yeah, this was basically in like mid to late 2008. Um, and, uh, you know, got started to get more and more excited about that. Ultimately decided to quit my job and rich dropped out of law school. Uh, and that was, I mean, incorporated the company on August 28th, 2008. Uh, and you know, started saying, okay, great. We're going to build this payment platform to, to make it easy for people to pay their friends. And we just realized how hard payments were. You know, there was 
fraud and compliance and you had to get banks to work with you. And here we were, these two 23-year-old kids that just didn't know anything about the industry. Um, we like walked into a bank branch and we were like, hey, how do we do this? And they looked at us like we were crazy. What was, uh, your, what was your payment volume in year one? Oh, uh, maybe $15, $20, whatever <laughs> we sort of sent to each other. Uh, and, uh, and then I think in year two, it was probably 20 or $30,000, just as our, whatever our close friends were using, because it was not a good product at the time. Um, but you know, we started over time, it took us about two years, but we started to learn more and more about, about payments and we got a bank to work with us and we figured out fraud and we figured out regulatory issues around moving money around and, and, and all that. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we realized that person to person payments was actually a super tough business. We had some great competitors there, uh, that were all offering the service for free. And we realized that the value that we created was actually in figuring out all that payment stuff, not in the kind of user experience around person to person payments. And so a couple of years in, we, we said, Hey, let's actually expose all this via API, let other entrepreneurs come build on top of us. So they don't have to figure out all this other stuff. Um, and that was kind of the genesis for what we pay ultimately became, um, you know, what today we're not a group payments company. You can't use this to collect money from friends, but if you want to build an application that makes that easy, um, we have a great set of APIs that make that possible. What did August capital see back in December 23rd, 2009, where they said, yeah, we'll give you a, you know, we'll give you 1.6 million. I mean, what traction were you showing? Were you already off this group payments idea? We were still on group payments. We were seeing some early traction. Um, we, there, you know, I think really there it was about a bet on Rich and me and the team we had put together. Uh, what was the team was, size then? Do you remember? Uh, we were small. I would say no more than ten people. Um, so it was really, you know, Rich and myself. And actually, so sorry. Before we raised that money, we were three people. It was Rich and myself, and uh, the first employee at the company was a guy named Eric Stern. And um, we, it was really us kind of hacking on this, supporting ourselves. Um, we'd been funded by Y Combinator and that was just enough to kind of keep things going. And then we raised $1.7 million from August Capital and an angel investor named Eric Dunn. That was post um, Y Combinator? That was right after Y Combinator, yeah. And they uh, and that was kind of what allowed us to get an office and hire our first couple of team members uh, as well. But I think that was really a bet on the team and the market um, because our product and the sort of proof points there um, you know, were still super, super early. Now, what did you grow the company to? So like, let's fast forward to maybe, you know, fiscal year 2016. What did you guys do there in terms of total payment volume? Yeah, so 2016, um, definitely sort of low single digit billions uh, as we were as we were growing. Um, but but, you know, and sort of doubling year over year. And then, um, you know, obviously coming into this year, another big step up. And then with this uh, recent transaction with Chase, um, you know, we, uh, you know, we're excited to kind of take things to the next Come level. Come on, Bill. Are you going to, you're going to break 10 billion this year? Uh, you know, can't comment, but, uh, definitely expecting <laughs> some really big growth. <laughs> your smile, uh, your smile is doing all the commenting. So good. Yeah. Lots of growth. Okay. But Bill, let me ask you a serious question because you were, you had to have run into these people I'm about to mention. So you got off group payments, but there was a company called Tilt, just aggressively actually getting into that exact same space around the same time, touching Y Combinator, backed by Andreessen. They just kind of wallowed around for a little bit. And I know most, most of those guys, they had a very soft kind of landing pad at Airbnb recently. I mean, what did you do different than them? Why did you get a $400 you know, million dollar exit and they kind of floundered trying to figure out the way? Yeah, I have a ton of respect for the team at Tilt. Uh, and I think they built a great company. It's really 
you know, from, in my opinion, that market is just a super tough market. You know, the, the company that was ultimately successful in person to person payments was Venmo. Venmo. Um, and Venmo ended up selling to Braintree for a pretty small amount, you know, way back in, I think 2012 or 2013. Um, and so really because there's no business model, it's about, you know, people expect that to be free and it's very hard to make money around that. So it makes a lot of sense as part of a bigger platform. And, you know, now most people don't know this, but Venmo is owned by PayPal. Uh, and, um, you know, it makes sense as part of PayPal's business, but it's not a moneymaker for PayPal. And it's not, it's not a great standalone business. I think that's what we ran into and why we had to pivot out of that space. That's what Tilt ran into and it's what Venmo ran into. Um, mm -hmm. Venmo was just able to kind of join forces with a larger player earlier in their life cycle and, and ultimately solve that problem. As I'm traveling the world on planes, trains, and automobiles, you know guys hear it, I'm closing loads of different deals, whether it's buying a company, closing a new account for gitlatka.com, you name it, I've gotta do it. And part of my issue is signing documents while I'm on the road. So I just found this new tool, I'm using it pretty aggressively. It's called Sign Easy. So you can get started for free at getsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. You'll see contracts that I've signed there and boy oh boy are they big and they work and the app is so easy to use. Get started today at getsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. When you were going through Y Combinator and right when you were raising that first round of funding, were you being encouraged to figure out a revenue model at that point? Or were you just trying to raise to buy more time until you figured out the model? Yeah, I, I think we always needed, and when you're anytime you're raising money, you need to have thoughts on how, what your business model is going to look like at scale and how you're ultimately going to make money as a business. Um, but the focus then was really on traction. It was just about how do we grow? How do we demonstrate that people want the service that we're creating? Um, and then if there's, you know, good ideas about how to make money in the future, then, um, you know, I think investors at that stage will give you a little bit of a pass on, on revenue. It's always best, you know, the best case scenario is to be profitable. Next yeah. best is generate revenue. You know, traction is sort of a, a nice number three. So, um, that's why, uh, we, we really were focused on traction at that point. I yeah, no, I'm trying to get into your brain to understand why you saw what was going to happen in group payments and you didn't see the opportunity. And that might've been because you were trying to make money on it and you realized there was no money to be made. And that's why you were so, I guess maybe you were confident, maybe you weren't in pivoting to what you are today. Um, go ahead. yeah, it was just really, it was really hard to get traction while we were charging fees. And so it was sort of like, anytime you have to choose between traction and, you know, and, and monetization, like there's, you need to have some other strategy for how to monetize. And we figured actually working in the platform space with software platforms, uh, that was a market where we could actually provide valuable technology and be compensated for the, for the value we were adding. In August, 2010, you raise another seven, five, a year later, May 3rd, you raise another 10, January 16, 2014, about two years later, you raise another 15. And then you do kind of a monster round series D 40 million in May, 2015, about what would that have been about two years prior to the acquisition, right? Yep, that's right. As you're kind of growing that, how, tell us how a company like you kind of in the fintech space is valued. Is it on that key metric? Is it just volume? Is it number of platform partners? What is it? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a number of different ways people look at payment companies. Um, more mature payment companies are definitely valued off of EBITDA and earnings. Um, you know, for us as just a fast growing company, it was really around sort of TPV revenue and, and the growth around that. What and, is TPV, Bill? Um, TPV is total payment volume. Sorry. Uh, and that's in the payments industry is a metric we use to just measure the, total, the dollar volume going through the system. Got it. Okay. Now, there's a, there's a saying out there that says, once you make a man rich, it's very hard to motivate him. 
I assume this was a good exit. I mean, you guys raised 74 million. I'm assuming there wasn't some crazy forex liquidation preference. It, you said it was a win for both shareholders and for Chase. So you're in a good spot now. Why are you still motivated to, to be at the company and be growing the space? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think <laughs> he says with a sigh. <laughs> this is a good, uh, this is certainly a good outcome for myself personally and for our team. But I think one of the things that Chase was really thoughtful about here was how do you motivate the team going forward? Um, and so they're, you know, they were really thoughtful to set aside big incentive targets for the team to help uh, grow. And so we've been really fortunate that the team's sticking around. We're going to double the team next year. We're going to take on new office space. Like we get to continue operating as we pay in a really exciting market, but now all of a sudden we're the best funded fintech startup in Silicon Valley. And so that, um, I get to keep doing the things I love with, you know, a, a huge step up in resources. And so that to me is hugely motivating. It's something I'm excited about. What was the team size when you sold? Uh, we're just under 200 people right now. Um, personally, what kinds of stuff are you doing on the side? Yeah. Um, so I, I like to tinker. Uh, so I, one of the things that just fascinates me is all the, you know, all the technologies around Raspberry Pi and Arduino and kind of how you can build these really interesting, um, you know, things out of hardware now that just weren't possible a couple of years ago. And so, um, you know, I love kind of just building little, you know, Internet of Things projects and, and, and all that. Um, love to ski, love spending time with family. Um, and I also uh, one of the things I really love doing is advising other startups and, and entrepreneurs. So I, I um, spend some time with folks at Y Combinator and helping them um, advise companies. If there's a young 22 year old male, female, they just graduated, they don't have a lot of debt, not a lot of responsibility yet. They can go live anywhere they want and do anything they want. Where would you suggest what market would you suggest they really throw their mind share at if the only thing they care about is total potential market size 10 years from now? Yeah, well, first of all, what an amazing opportunity that yeah. is. Uh, I uh, I spoke at MIT Startup Bootcamp many years ago, and I had this big slide that I put up that had a picture of a BMW 3 Series and a big X through it. Um, <laughs> and it was sort of, uh, it was a reference to a lot of the people I worked with in finance. You know, you get that first big paycheck, maybe you buy a car or something like that. And, you know, my advice was keep your burn rate low and your responsibilities low. And it really frees up the world of opportunities for you to go work on stuff. And that was something that, a decision that Rich and I made, and it was you know hugely influential in our life. So, do you remember, they, what was your what were your monthly expenses? Per, do you mind sharing your monthly expenses personally back then? What would you keep them under? Oh, it was almost nothing. We were um, we when we lived in Boston, we shared an apartment with two other people, and we were probably spending a total between the two of us of about a thousand dollars a month in rent. And you know, we'd buy like frozen burgers from Costco, and we'd eat those every night in bulk. Uh, ramen and you know all that and then when we moved out to silicon valley we lived in kind of southeast san jose and you know in a house that we rented for two thousand dollars a month and we had three other roommates and just really kept that burn rate as low as we could um because we were self-financing in the early days and it, it just gives you options it lets you stay alive for longer yep guys bill good stuff man let's wrap up here with the famous five number one what's your favorite business book so one of my favorite business books is not actually a business book. It's called Failure is Not an Option by Gene Krantz. And it's about the stories of the Apollo program and kind of his leadership of the space program through this, you know, with this crazy challenge to put a man on the moon and all the difficulties and pressures and team dynamics that come with that. So it's, it's actually intended more as a biography, but it reads a lot like a business book of how do you manage an organization through um, a really sort of high potential stressful time. Number two, what's a main, what it was a non-mainstream CEO you really respect right now or you're really following closely? 
Oh, a non-mainstream CEO. I was, uh, I was, I was all prepared to talk about Jamie Dimon at Chase. It's <laughs> a pretty phenomenal company that we're excited to join. Um, I would say uh, non-mainstream CEO. Uh, one, of, one of my just personal friends and mentors is uh, Jessica Heron at Stella and Dot. Um, you know, she's built a really great business that has created a lot of opportunity for some meaningful people, and um, not a company that you know, uh, like Apple or someone like that, that's dominates the headlines. But I think it's a really interesting company to create a lot of opportunity. Number three, what's a tool that you use on a daily basis as you're growing this company? Um, I swear by a tool called SaneBox that, uh, goes into my email and filters out, uh, all kinds of like junk mail and non-solicited, uh, email. And it, it keeps my inbox a lot more sane. Number three, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I try for six and a half, seven, uh, and that's, uh, and that's what I kind of need to, to be at my best. And what's your situation today? Married, single, have kids? I got married just over a year ago, uh, to, uh, to my wife, who's absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I look at her as, you know, she's just as important to the success of WePay and in, in my career as, uh, as I am. So and no, no kiddos yet. No kids yet. We're, uh, we are enjoying the double income, no kids life. <laughs> That's a book right there. All right. And how old are you, Bill? Uh, I'm 32. Last question. Take us back 12 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? 20 year old self. Um, you know, I think I would go back to that burn rate, uh, example and just that, you know, to the extent that, you know, that when you graduate from college, that's such a unique, unique time in your life where you have no responsibilities, you know, no kids, no pets, no burn rate. Um, if you're going to take a risk in your life, that's such a phenomenal time to do it. And, uh, something that I'm so glad I did. There you guys have it from Bill launched. We pay back when he was 23, dabbled around a little bit, realized early on group payments with just 15 grand and total transaction volume in year one was not going to cut it. Scaled the business by helping platforms like constant contact jot form, basically do online payments quicker and easier among their members. They scaled that thing into the low billions in TPV. Uh, uh, and then obviously sold recently to J uh, to chase for a reported 400 million bucks bill. Thank you so much for taking us to the top. Thanks so much for having me.